0: Hello and welcome to episode 271 of the Round Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. And I am Kevin. And Happy New Year, guys. It's it's 2022. Well, by the time uh, people hear this, it's 2022. New year. But yeah, the the holiday season is over, and it's kind of time to convert our brains back from the mush of the holidays to something a little sharper, which is exactly what the games we're discussing in this episode can maybe help you do. Uh, we have impressions of Big Brain Academy... Brain versus Brain, and a bit of an oldie-bug goodie in Puzzle Platformer Unravel 2, alongside a broad discussion of our favorite puzzle games just in general. Plus, we have a Goodbye to Nintendo Minute, a hello to a few of the standout titles shown in December's Indie World Showcase that we haven't yet gotten to, and all the timestamps for that can be found on the blog post first episode at RamTown.com. So, uh, yeah, I I did mention the holidays just now, which I feel like are obviously a big time for games in general, you know, playing them with friends, getting them as gifts, whatever. Um, did you guys? Yeah. Did you guys have any highlights this year in gaming highlights? Getting good gifts, playing good games with friends. How's your holiday?
1: What did I do? I don't remember. So I'm just gonna say no to all your questions.
0: <laughs> just a blanket no.
1: I legitimately <laughs> do not remember.
2: Gaming wise, it was definitely a Mario Party filled one. There was just a lot of Mario Party. I think we yeah. might have played every board at least twice with like a few different groups, and it was fun every time. But I will say that I'm starting not so much with the mini games, but I am starting to get a little tired of seeing the boards. Doesn't even matter which one at this point. Like I just kind of feel the same way about all of them now. Like I can still have fun at the end of the day because you know every Mario Party like session has its own little identity and its own unique moments. But like. For the most part, like, you know, it's, things are getting repetitive on the board side. And that kind of bums me out a little. I kind of hope we get some more content added soon, or maybe I just need to take a break from it. Maybe actually jump back into Super Mario Party. But probably not, because why?
0: Madman? Yeah, mad, man. Yeah. You know, so just,
2: like, play some other Mario Party at that point. but
0: Or just man, stare man. at a wall. Oh, you know, there you go. I mean, it's not that bad, honestly. But, yeah, no, I have to imagine, to your point, that, like, Mario Party has to be having a good holiday in general because it's like it's almost fallen, not to the same extent, but it's almost kind of fallen into like a similar like serendipitous moment as uh, Animal Crossing did in like March of 2020 because like during the holidays, if people are together in person, like they usually are in past years, um, you know, it's as in, in-person fun as ever and it has a nostalgia factor for the older crowd but for folks who maybe are playing a little safer with the Omicron variant running around, this is the first Mario Party truly built for and marketed around an online experience like i like anecdotally i've been laying a bit low and staying home more and people that i would normally see that are home for the holidays i've just been playing superstars with them online instead so like i I have to imagine you doing it a lot me doing a lot there must just anecdotally between us that must point to something you know like it's probably gonna have a really good holiday season i mean I didn't mention it last episode, now that I think about it, but um, what? when I was doing my silly little Jason sales snacks or whatever, one of the things I didn't mention in November is that Mario Party actually went up the chart from its debut. Like, it was number 8 in October. It was number 6 in November. Granted, it had, like, three days of October to work with, but still, like, even with, yeah, I know, imagine that has physical to do with sales, a little, but, like, still, even with physical sales and everything, like, the initial day one purchases weren't, like, the, it wasn't that front-loaded. It continued to do well throughout the month and I imagine I imagine it's going to be pretty decently selling in December too which we'll find out sometime in the next few weeks when MPD comes out but yeah like it, it was definitely a biggie I think in general for a lot of people Mario Party Um, did you dive into it much Kevin? I know you're saying you didn't remember much but now that we're saying Mario Party Mario Party Mario Party did you have like an uptick of Mario Partying or nah? Nope I, well,
1: g- I generally don't think that story, I though. did much gaming during like the Christmas, uh, the Christmas little break that I had.
0: Did you get any? Did I get any as gifts? Any, any like as as gifts? gifts? Like <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. Man. I don't know. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> was
1: just nothing popped out this uh this year.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, in terms of games, I spent time with. I mean, I mentioned Mario Party, but um. I think there are holidays that really boiled down to me to two games, which was Big Brain Academy, Brain vs. Brain, and Unravel Two, both of which coincidentally are our topics this episode. Um, but yeah, both of them I actually got some pretty heavily discounted prices. But I guess, I guess to just jump into them, we should probably start with the newer release, which is Nintendo's newest release, in fact, and that is Big Brain Academy. Um, you guys haven't—I feel like we talked about this when it was first announced, but I don't remember. You guys have not played any other Big Brain games in the past, right?
2: I think there was a WarioWare micro game for Big Brain Academy at some point, and it was. honestly, for the longest time, I didn't even know it was like a Nintendo published thing. I thought it was like a knockoff Brain Age by like a third party, like a, you know, <laughs> like your yeah. Roth like your Roth edition or something. But no, it turned out it was an actual Nintendo published game, and I was like, oh, I guess they just have two brain series going on simultaneously. Well,
0: it's it's crazy because on the DS. Brain Age and Big Brain Academy, like the originals, came out six weeks apart. Like, I don't know what int- I mean, clearly they both sold well, but I don't really know what the logic there was of having, to your point, like the A tier and the B tier of the same basic idea simultaneously on sale. But, but yeah, I, um, I never played Big Brain before either. And full disclosure here, I had no intention of buying this game. Uh, even like the initial trailer mm, and details, so it seemed, well, it seemed really light on content. Like, you remember, we talked about the initial trailer, I think, on the show, and then like, 30 bucks, and it doesn't look like much. It's like 20 different brain teasers or something. But then Best Buy had it at 50% off around mid December, which I think was literally like 10 days after it's released, which is kind of wild in and of itself. But uh, they had it 50% off, and I had a $10 reward certificate on uh, top of that. So, with all said and done, I basically bought this game for the price of like a higher quality mobile game. It was like five bucks, maybe five forty-four or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually really happy I did. Like, there isn't a lot here, it's true, but what is included in Big Brain Academy is done really well, and it has it's a lot silly. of the typical, like, Nintendo charm. I don't know about tasteful. I mean, it has a cartoonish deck, so it's not, like, classy, but <laughs> but it is done well, and it is done like a typical Nintendo, you know, you get the Nintendo experience. So, for those who haven't played a Big Brain Academy, which is everyone here, but probably some listening or Brain Age for that matter, um, essentially these games do revolve around this idea of solving brain teasers, right? So in Brain Age, as I'm sure you too and most people listening know, or remember from the DS games, uh, doing the teasers daily gives you an age for your brain's cognitive skills, and you try and lower that age uh, by becoming better at all the mini games. And then you take the tests, and then you you're given what you're given. In Big Brain Academy, it's the same premise, but in reverse. You're measured by your brain's weight, which is uh a tallied score based on your performance across different brain teasers, the heavier the brain, as in the higher your score, the better um supposedly you are I for example uh currently have around an s minus brain that leans heavily towards memorization, which um come to think of it is probably why I'm able to spout off sales numbers, release dates, and remember uh, however many no years later
2: that it's. That, that makes sense.
0: Wow, that's that's one way to spin it. Sure, yeah, no subs. <laughs> but yeah, that would explain why I remember, you know, Brain Age and Big Brain Academy being out six weeks apart. But, but anyway, the entire game revolves around, you know, scoring as best you can in these brain teasers, since ultimately you want to perform well on the brain test, which is a series of five mini-games thrown, uh, thrown you know, at you at random. Uh, practice for this comes in a few flavors, and that's kind of the meat of the game. There's solo training, there's an online ghost mode, and there's a local multiplayer party mode solo training is the simplest honestly the weakest um you can manually pick any of big brains you know 20 brain teaser may games which span five categories based on memorizing identifying visualizing analyzing and computing or calculations i think they call it computing which that right there is my memorization brain in action, I think. But anyway, yeah, you pick your game, you play it, you're given a ranking based on your performance. Obviously, the intention here is to have you improve your skills in many games you may not be as good at, but to help with the replayability, how your rank comes in the form of both medals and stars. Which I have to imagine is designed to scratch the high score itch for some players. Cause like, yes, if you do better, you can go from bronze to silver or gold to platinum, but each metal has a three star range you have to clear as well. So that's, you know, three times the higher score opportunities for the player. Um, some mini the some mini games you're going to like more than others. For example, I really like one where you need to visualize and set the tracks for a train. Like you have like empty squares, you have to pick, figure out which direction the track has to go. And there's another where you need to quickly punch in number sequences on kind of like a calculator interface. Uh I'm less a fan of, probably because I'm not good at Uh this one where you have to manually adjust the clock based on different time commands. So the motivation to just play these mini games ad nauseum in solo training, it isn't always there, even with this guy, uh the high score hook, because, you know, you may enjoy one main game more than the other but you do you want do you care enough to get the platinum triple star medal on the one you don't like very much probably not uh to help counter that though the developers did add an insane number of unlockables to further motivate you there's uh you know uh this coin system essentially that regardless of what you do you're gonna get coins so the higher the stars or medals you earn the more you level up uh the more coins you get, even just coming to practice and trying, you get some coins. And then every 10 coins, you get one of seemingly hundreds of new accessories for your avatar, from hair to clothes to hats to glasses to these little one-liners you can show to your opponents online. Um, but funny enough, you get those exact same coins and unlocks if you just go straight into the much more fun Ghost Clash mode. And Ghost Clash is arguably the best thing about Big Brain Academy. And it's such a simple hook that works so well. So basically, they took time trial Ghosts and applied them to the minigames. The game tracks how you and all the other players are performing when playing your various games, and then takes all that data and uploads it to Nintendo's servers. And then you and others have the ability to go into this Ghost Clash mode, challenge the data as if it's actually real-time opponents, except it's all asynchronous. So you can challenge a day of others you competed with locally in the past. You can do it from your friends list. You can do it, which is um, how the Wii version did it back in the day. You could even do it with a specific ghost ID if you have it. Um, but the one I'm really enjoying is new to this version. It's wor- it's called World Clash. And you're presented with a screen of five ghosts at a time. You select who you'd like to play against, and then off you go to see who can reach 100 points in that specific minigame. You don't know the games. You do know the categories. They try and air mix all five categories into each screen of five. And as you continue to go through the sets of five opponents, the faster and seemingly smarter those ghosts then become. And what really sells it, like what really makes it work, are these little touches on the ghosts. Like each ghost has a custom phrase set by the player. The ones I mentioned a minute ago, you unlock. Um, it lists their occupation, it lists their age, their nationality, their chosen avatar accessories. Wait, you could it even put should... your occupation. Hmm? You could. You can list your occupation. Some of them are real. Some of them aren't. Oh. Like some of them are like. Like student of life, but then others are like you know teacher or manager or that sort of thing. Oh, so, what do so you know? can list all that. Podcast manager. Man? I oh. I wish that was an option. Podcast Man sounds like a superhero too. But I wish that was an option. No, I manager because that's what I am. Oh, but I wish um, that you
2: considered this your actual career and that just like. But there's no. Well, you something. could
0: say I manage around Nintendo as well if you think about it.
2: Hmm, that is true. Yeah. I do you really? Yeah.
0: Well, I like to think I do, but maybe. Maybe it's all facade and secretly you two are pulling the strings. Um But no, the, the thing that's really crazy about Ghost Clash though, so they have all that, which is like, okay, you get to know the character, but they even show like how the person played the game. Like in the little avatar's hands are the Joy-Con colors they are using. If they're using a pro controller, if they're playing in handheld, if they're using the Joy-Con grip, like it's all there. And it's the most minor thing in the world, but it really helps sell the fact that this isn't just like a random CPU, but truly someone on the other end and obviously it's not real time there's no voice chat but the flourishes really make it feel more like competitive than it actually kind of is and they make it so you do want to like compete harder against someone maybe around your age or older and even on the opposite side of that I do feel weirdly bad when I'm paired against a seven or eight year old because like I don't want to like I'm just gonna trounce a seven year old that feels kind of mean but, you know, because you're competing with all these actual people. I don't in that, know. Um, I feel like some seven-year-olds could probably do really they well They could be put in their place. Basic math facts. They could be put in their Oh, I thought you were going to say I could put them in their place. Um, I will I will tell you, Angel, I have not lost to a seven-year-old yet. Now, a four-year-old, no, I'm kidding, But I haven't lost to anyone under double digits, I don't think. Um, yeah, that's good. But the thing is, because you're, um, when it's your appropriate age group, uh, when you're competing with these people, even though it's not real time, it feels as satisfying as winning an online match because they do all this. And the shuffle of minigames means, like, even if you stumble into one you don't like, like my clock one from before, you put up with it because you got to keep that online win streak going. You know, you got to keep getting unlockables and that sort of thing. So it, it makes it a lot more digestible, and it makes what is a limited number of minigames really just kind of work. Um, so those are two modes you can do solo. then there's party mode, which is for local multiplayer, and these battles are in real time um and while you don't earn unlocks or anything as as you can imagine when you're competing against your friends in real life, it can get pretty intense um or at least it has been pretty intense for me and my girlfriend uh these past couple of weeks. We are in the midst of a best of three best of three best of three if you want to parse that out because neither of us want to admit defeat at the end of one of those three sets, so we keep just adding. Stacking additional best of threes on top. I'm currently in the lead for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, the party mode also includes an interesting little feature where different people can play at different difficulty levels, which is kind of cool. So like you can all compete, but they make it welcoming if you want to play with your like a younger kid or I don't know if you have an older member, member of your family who maybe isn't as familiar with video games or the inputs or that sort of thing. Um, and that does bring me to another thing about big brain cavity that does really well. It accommodates like it just because you know, just letting folks. Choose your own difficulty is one thing, um, but like if you're playing solo or in two-player versus, you can use the touchscreen if you want. Um, in fact, I'd say this is one of the few Switch games I feel really benefits from touch versus button input. It's just so much faster. But even beyond that, they have something called Sprout Mode to simplify things for really young players. And just before Christmas, they even rolled out a software update that lets you turn off images of bugs and other like creepy crawler things so you don't trigger anyone who maybe has... Um, phobias to those when playing mini games we have to identify those so like just the attention to detail of all these little different things you could turn on and off and make it so everyone could play together like none of these are necessary but it all goes towards making just an inclusive experience that fun i guess for anyone who wants to play it like that's kind of the thing that's cool about big brain academy is at least brain versus brain is nothing in it makes you feel bad like if you need a different different difficulty just go for it if someone beats your ghost online, you're never told. You're only told when you succeed. It's not like the game's like, boy, you must be dumb. Joe in Germany just destroyed you. It just rewards you when you do well. And even if you do poorly in like solo practice, you're still getting a couple coins towards unlockables. So it just feels like Nintendo found a really good way to make it accessible and rather warm and fuzzy of an experience. Um, The downside is I'm not sure how many people are going to get to have that experience because that $30 MSRP is pretty steep for what you get. Like, it's transparently steep, as I was saying. You know, the trailer made it seemingly pretty obvious that it was not a very feature-packed game. I do wonder if it might have been in Nintendo's best interest to perhaps sell it at $15 or even $10, like as an eShop title or something. I mean, obviously, they would take a short-term hit. They certainly wouldn't immediately recoup the marketing budget of having Neil Patrick Harris and his family do the commercials for the game. But over time, I think it would pro- it could provide a larger install base and give the game some legs. As is, what I'd say is this. If you see it on sale, it's absolutely worth it. If you're considering it for full price, just know the limitations, make the judgment call for yourself. Um, and if you can get it for five bucks like I did, man, it, it's a surprisingly fun and well-made game. Like I'm really enjoying it much more than I expected. Um, yeah. So that, that's big brain. It's, it's funny cause like we talk about and get hyped for and buy all these big full price $60 games. And I don't know. Sometimes like, pulling the trigger on games on sale at ridiculously low prices has a few times over now led to some really great game experiences i didn't expect i mean big brain being one of them one well, of my now all-time faves what remains of edith finch i got that for two bucks cost of a target pricing error or maybe it was one buck it was super cheap like have you guys had that happen you had really should have given of really... that money
2: that, that feels kind of dirty
0: what but... well no so target they buy the game so target lost the money not the developers oh yeah so target, target, target screwed up oh boohoo target <laughs>
1: <laughs> Think of poor, have, poor have, corporate target.
0: Yeah, exactly. Think of like, their oh, woe is, woe is the bullseye. Okay. Um. But yeah. What, what about you guys? Does that, hap- does that happen? To you have you had games where you know just really good gaming deals or steals or just surprised at how much you're enjoying this thing you got for like a nickel or something? Maybe a nickel's impossible. I don't know.
1: Not quite
2: yet. I've definitely bought in a lot of games at a discount. Like I got, I think I'm pretty sure I got Resident Evil 4 for the Wii for less than three bucks at GameStop. I mean, I'll be at mostly the used game. Like cause, Cause that's the only time I ever really buy used stuff. Um, I mean, ever get these deals in general. Cause typically I'll buy things when they come out. Typically that has been kind of changing lately. Like unless I really, really want the game or take one part of one of these like key franchises in Angel's pyramid of gaming life or something like i'll probably just wait on them and definitely that i wait on Rhythm evil I haven't played it yet pretty sure i also got barrel blast for a penny and metroid prime and metroid other m for five cents Wait, um, my, my nickel joke
0: was real you actually got a game for a nickel and less
2: pretty sure i did because gamestop wow. does when they want to get rid of a game they don't try to hide it they'll just price it at a penny <laughs> and even then sometimes like you know it's just like the disc version of something that actually comes to something else. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes it even worse as a penny unless you get the other thing. But for the most part, yeah, I guess we just have to be, I've definitely gotten my, easily my money's worth from, more than my money's worth from used games. But as far as a new game and getting a, some kind of discount, not really. Usually I suffer because I'll buy Tales games at full price and they end up, Tales games usually devalue. Within the year, within like six months. So if you wait that long, you'll pay like half price, like new. And I don't because.
0: Haven't you not even started the latest tales yet?
2: I haven't even bought in the latest tales yet. Oh, you didn't buy. That's like you bought it and you could just wait. So I am. So I am learning. Yeah, so I am learning. I did like two or three tales
1: games behind.
2: Yeah, because right now we're playing Xillia... We still have Vesperia in the box. There's, like, two other games, Berseria and Zesteria that we also have in the box that are just there. I think they're still under Shrink Rep, actually, because there's no reason to have opened them. But, yeah, we'll get to those eventually. Eventually. I mean, there's no really no time limit, so. So, yeah. So, I guess,
1: sort
0: of. Is my answer. Fair. What about you, Kevin? I feel like you have you have a huge like backlog of steam stuff you got on sale, do not you? Don't you? Yeah,
1: pretty much. I mean, man, the steam sales are insane. Uh whenever you get whenever you get like a full price game for like even twenty bucks having it off during a during a Steam sale is great. Uh yeah, I just got this huge collection. Right now the Epic Game Store has a has like their version of the Steam sale, but on top of that, because they have so much money, they're able to give you an extra 10 bucks off like unlimitedly. excuse me oh hold on oh god my throat uh yeah the, like those are those are fun i've never gotten something where like it's a uh i've never had like a pricing error go in my favor usually i'll look at i'll see those pricing errors where like oh you get six switch games for like five cents and then uh right like, I've never had one of those situations where, you, where you're where you like, oh, I was just up at, uh, I was randomly up at 2 a.m. And then Target had this game for five cents. Like, I've never had a situation like that.
0: That is literally the Edith Finch situation for me. Yeah, but it was a dollar. But same difference.
1: Yeah, never. That's you never up happened up at night
0: at Target. What? No, I was up at night on Twitter. And then Warrior64, which is a great account to follow for deals if you don't already, Uh, he was like, hey, Edith Finch is like a buck. And I bought it. Funny enough, thinking it was Obra dent for some reason, because I was half asleep with this two in the morning. Um, and then when, after I bought, it, I'm like, oh, this is an Oberdint. Oh, well, this still looks cool. And then I ended up loving it so much, as I think I raved about like two years ago on the podcast here. But um, yeah, that was that worked out nicely. Total sheer luck that I fell into that game. Um, which is kind of, I guess, similar to what happened with Un- with Unravel Two. If I were to talk about the other game, I have impression for this episode. Like, this is another one I didn't expect to like this much. And admittedly, this one is older. But I feel like the Switch audience, myself included, kind of slept on Unraveled when it uh, came out. So, I mean, even among people who own it, I feel like they didn't play Like, Angel, don't you have it downloaded? Have you even touched it?
2: I played the beginning of it and never looked back. I didn't yeah. dislike well, I... it or anything. Just, yeah, just got uh... sidetracked. Yeah, I just got sidetracked, and it's definitely low on the priority of games to get around to. But we'll eventually will, especially because you know it—it's definitely best played co-op, and yes. I'm not gonna not, play, and I'm not gonna play it by myself. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I uh, I was really surprised by how good it ended up being. Yeah, but but also to tie kind of, potentially it? tie it back to what? Yes, yep, beat it, nice,
2: yeah, that's one for the books. Um,
0: yeah, I know, right? My my one game I fully beat in 2021, Unravel 2. But um, I was going to say it also kind of weirdly pairs with Big Brand Academy because one thing that Unravel 2 does before I get to the gameplay is it's really good at being accessible to players, which I feel like in general, the industry has been kind of moving in that direction pretty strongly lately. I mean, obviously the Game Awards just had that accessibility category the other week with the likes of like Horizon uh, Forza Horizons and Ratchet and Clank, and I know before that, like did Last of Us Part Two do a bunch of like stuff to make the game more accessible? I seem to remember you guys yeah, talking yeah. about that. Like, yeah, their yeah, accessibility like, know, options are
1: pretty much amazing.
2: Yeah, like in theory, you should be able to play that game blindfolded or something like that.
0: Oh wow, okay, yeah. Unravel Two's not doesn't go that far. Like I don't even think to, like it, Last of Us does like colorblind stuff, right? Colorblind, audio
1: stuff, visual stuff. It's, it's way more than that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, Unravel Two definitely doesn't go. Yeah. That hard, yeah, does.
2: so, yeah the goal, is though, so that like literally any person, no matter like their physical, like ailment, I like, can play it and beat it.
1: But that's but yeah, that's also like a AAA studio. So yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not yeah. gonna be mad. <laughs> I'm not gonna be prepared, mad at, at Unravel Two <laughs> Damn, for Unravel. not having everything that. The last and, and to be fair, have, you can change don't the they have color. Money can... though.
0: It does and it doesn't. Yeah, they, they publish it. So to be fair, when I say accessibility in this case, now that I'm reflecting on what we're talking about versus what I meant, um, I mean more the skill level of a player or the familiarity with gaming, but they do have a few things. Like you can change the color of your character. The yarnies come in red and blue, but you can change them to pretty much any color you want if you want the better contrast. Um, on the flip side though, they have these key latch points that you have to attach your yarn to and they're always the same red and blue color, which even in some environment, like in some environments is clear as day from, The majority of folks, I imagine, but Summit is a little hard to see, even if you're not colorblind. So I don't know. It's it's Maybe that wasn't the best avenue to go down. But in terms of accessibility to skill level a player, Unravel 2 does some cool stuff because it has a great uh, hint system. Uh, You have the ability, if you're in co-op, to hop on the back of the other player pretty much at any time if the platform gets too difficult for one of you. But beyond just those, it does this really interesting thing where you can also change the speed of the game. So if it's too intense, you can literally slow it down into like a slow-mo, actually multiple degrees of slow-mo to make it more manageable, which is just, I've never seen a game do that before. It's kind of interesting. Um, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I didn't try it. I just saw it was there, but you could do like, it could be like a 1.0 speed. It's like a podcast. You could have be like 1.0 or 0.9 or 0.5 or like, it's, it's, it's interesting. I guess if you want to be able to better time your jumps and some of the later segments and stuff, but, but to back it all up for a second, I should probably explain the premise of the game. Um, Because it came out in, like, March 2019. It came out literally the same time as Yoshi's Crafted World, which was also yarn-themed. So I have to imagine a lot of people that are kind of tuned in on the Switch may have missed it. Um, So if you did, Unravel 2 stars these two little creatures made of yarn called Yarnies, as I just mentioned, who are basically thrown into this photorealistic take on our world and need to make their way through it by completing seven chapters of different puzzle platforming levels. And in a lot of ways... It actually reminds me of Chibi Robo, of all things. Like these Yarnies are about three inches tall. And while the game focuses on their actions, the consequences of them affect the human world around them. In fact, there's kind of this loose story that plays out in the background of you platforming, in which um, you're helping two kids physically and, I guess, metaphorically try to overcome the darkness of the world. And again, the story is very loose compared to something like Chibi Robo. There's no dialogue or anything. But in a very Chibi Robo way, it is neat to see your interactions with the environment help the kids or hinder the shadowy adults you know going on in the background especially later on in the game where the actions become pretty much one-to-one with what you do affecting how you can help the kids or hurt the adults or what have you um but the chibi robo parallel also weirdly kind of extends to the actual gameplay mechanic although here it's maybe more of a ziplash comparison or parallel which i admit doesn't sound promising out loud since that's kind of the punching bag of the chibi robo franchise for fans who miss like the old format but what I mean is that Ziplash relied heavily on using Chibi's plug and cord to navigate levels, kind of like a little grapple. And in Unravel, you have the same basic mechanic of the Yarnies being able to extend their string to navigate and solve puzzles. The difference here is it's good. And those are my impressions. No, but uh more seriously, the, the string has like significantly longer length and is used in more uh versatile ways. Uh essentially it boils down to I think there's like four core actions you do. It's like you can pull things towards you, you can swing from the string you can tie it onto objects create little trampolines or you can use it to climb and it's really like two things that are then layered on top of that that kind of like make the game first the physics uh the game heavily relies on leveraging the momentum of your swings and the inertia and all that um along with just the physics you'd expect in real life for the various items and environmental elements and whatnot you're interacting with so like when you're doing it it feels how it should it works well given that the game is going for kind of that Real world aesthetic, which at times, you know, the Switch's limited power can hold it back a bit, but still pretty, it was still pretty good looking on my uh, 4K TV. Um, But just as a note, if you do play in handheld mode, there's actually a separate performance mode that will blunt some of the textures and blur them out and whatnot, but will also increase all the on screen menu elements. It'll make it run a little more um, smoothly. You know, it's the typical Switch trade-off for a multi-platform release. But anyway, the physics are one thing. The second and probably bigger thing that makes the game is the fact that your two Yarnies are connected to one another by a string as well. And the string does have a fair amount of length to it, but ultimately what it does is add just another dimension to the puzzles and even the platforming. Because like in a lot of co-op games, you have player one go do one thing and then player two does something else, right? And that's not... That's not not true here. That's definitely the case. But because of the connected string, it feels a lot more interactive when you do that, for lack of a better word. But, you know, like between you and the other player even, because, you know, you can't have player one go do something on the left and player one go do something on the right and that's it because all their actions have to be literally intertwined. They're connected with string. So you can't necessarily do separate parts of puzzles independently because the string may get caught on something or... You may need to alternate who does what in a certain sequence because, you know, one player can reach a given spot to solve the puzzle. But the second player may need to be able to then climb up the shared string unobstructed in order to get to where the first player finished the puzzle. So it's this sort of like shared gameplay dynamic that just really makes it kind of stand out. And it even extends to platforming too because there's a lot of swinging, kind of Donkey Kong Country style, but you're not often just swinging independently, you actually, you know, like side by side, like you do with Donkey Kong, Day Kong or whatever. Instead, you have to often use each other as the anchor and kind of alternate who swings between each point. So even that's like more collaborative than a lot of like co-op games would be. And it may not sound like this mechanic would necessarily make a game, but the way the developers are like constantly finding new ways to implement these ideas, especially in the back third of the game where you start dealing with like mechanical objects and stuff, it just makes the whole experience feel super clever and fun. Um, at least in proper co-op i can't speak for how alternating yarnies in single player feels because there's two yarnies whether you're playing you and another human or just controlling both i imagine it's different but in co-op it's really fun and the creativity in general is just like the game does such a good job of constantly throwing new things at you and it plays with the idea of what would be threatening to you know a three inch tall yarn person so one level has like a wild turkey chasing you another you have to dodge jumping fish others involve fire like Sometimes the platforming is, you know, more calm as you go through forest, but then other times you need to do some like well placed wall jumping that kind of feels sort of like a diet super meat boy in a way. Um and throughout the whole thing, even in the last chapter, the developers do a really good job of not overstaying any one idea's welcome. Even in the chapter themes, you go from forest to countryside, farmhouses to cities to factories, like it's it just constantly Lava feels land? fresh. What? What was that?
2: Lava area? Snow uh,
0: not exactly lava per se, but there is fire that kind of serves as lava, yeah. So yeah, they don't go to an actual volcano, I guess, to your point. But I should say, part of the reason it all feels so fresh is the game isn't particularly long. Uh, my girlfriend and I have be been in it about 7 hours, I think, although I suspect some can be in it closer to 5, if not less. Uh, there are also a series of 20 separate challenges you can do as well for low added value, but like the core game isn't particularly big, which is why it can keep feeling fresh, because I don't have to rehash anything. Um, but the, the good news is the game seems to be constantly on sale. So I paid four bucks for it on the eShop back in November when EA put it on sale. Right now on Steam, it's literally a buck ninety nine. And I believe it's available both on Xbox Game Pass and EA Play if you have those services. But even at full price, it's only twenty bucks. Um, and honestly, given the creativity of the puzzles and the production value, I didn't even mention the music, which really adds to the kind of chill, like sereneness of much of the game. But given all that, it's easily worth twenty, especially if you compare it with Big Brain Academy being a game that Nintendo thinks you should pay thirty for. Like this Unravel two is a pretty good pretty good deal. Um, and it's a really enjoyable time while it lasts. Uh so yeah, that's what I've been playing. <laughs> uh good. To that hear. Was the Jason the Jason thirty minutes there. Um I
2: already got that
0: game, so nice to hear that it yeah. wasn't a yeah, I think you have fun bad investment. It. I think you and Alice will have fun with it. It might Honestly, on some level, it might be too easy for you guys, but like for for me and for me, and my girlfriend especially because she uh, is less of a gamer, like it was perfect. And you know, there are times she'd hop on my Yarny's back because she didn't want to do the platforming, but like the balance was just is is the sweet spot. So, um, but yeah, that Aww. just does, yeah, but it does, um, I guess nicely bring us to a topic that's a bit more inclusive since I was just rambling for a while there, um, which is the introduction of our new genre series. So. In 2021, we started this on-again, off-again segment we called the Anniversary Series, where we looked back at some of the many, many franchises that celebrate anniversaries, Donkey Kong, Sonic, Metroid, you name it, Uh and we're still going to do that as time allows. But for 2022, we thought we'd augment that with a similar idea for genres, because it feels like we're always so fixated on why Nintendo isn't releasing a new game X or nostalgia about Series Y or whatever, but we have you know favorites and annoyances and everything in between about genres too right like you know people have things like about action games things they like about metroidvanias what have you so since this episode is already pretty brainy and we're already just talking about a puzzle platformer feels like the right place to kick it all off is with puzzle game which is mainly is a very big bucket of games so if you guys had to pick what would you consider your like favorite puzzle game or puzzle series
2: be a technicality but I mean it kind of has to be Ace Attorney It's like the first thing I think about as a puzzle Hmm. game because you are solving mysteries there are like cryptic writing and stuff you have to solve sometimes there are literal puzzles in there but I mean yeah I mean that would just have to be it because I mean I love the fact that you get a excellent story wrapped in a mystery with puzzles it's just the best of both worlds but if that is too much of a stretch then I'd probably give it to either the 999 games or Professor Layton, which you can't get any more puzzle than those. There's still that, you know, graphic novel element to them that, you know, you still have the great story, interesting characters, blah, blah, blah. But the game aspect of it is just straight up puzzles. You literally have find the road to from point A to point B, but here are these specific rules that make this a brain teaser. Mm-hmm. Or ferry the ship back and forth with a wolf and sheep without leaving you know some arbitrary rule or blah 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 like definitely love all of those still have a lot of just like the tales games i have a backlog of laden games i need to get through i've only fully beaten the first one i've started the second one i own the third and i guess i beat Layton versus phoenix which you know it's obviously the best of both worlds but yeah 999 was still also really amazing, so if you haven't played the game somehow, definitely recommend it.
0: Interesting picks. So I did not think go. you would go the brain teaser. What about you, Kevin? Where, are you more a traditional puzzleist or something more like Angel?
1: Okay, just just so that I don't uh, pick the obvious one, I mean, the granddaddy of them all is Tetris, right? You're right. Um, I don't want to pick Tetris. So I'll go with my next best answer, which is the Lumines games. Hmm. Which are, which are really, really great, uh, great little puzzle games, similar in the vein of Tetris, but putting its own spin on it, uh, which I really, really like. Aside from that, yeah, I was going to go with the Zero Escape games. So 999, Virtue's Last Reward, and then, uh, Zero Time Dilemma. Those are fantastic puzzle games. More, uh, closer to visual novels as, uh, Angel said, but, yeah, it's, they're essentially just escape rooms, which are, which are always fun.
0: Man, is no one gonna say, I guess I have to say it, puzzle, the puzzle league games? I love the puzzle league games. Why in the world would considering I I've never even played it? Like, bother, bother
2: saying those words.
0: <laughs> I like Kevin's like answer better energy. than angels here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know. I think. To your question, Angel, I think I like Puzzle League so much because I think it just hit at the right time. Because it was the first Puzzle League game I played was Pokemon so you're saying Puzzle it Challenge.
2: Doesn't hold up if you play it for the first time as an adult.
0: No, no, I think it's just I think it's just the the in is what got me hooked on it. Because like you need a hook, right? Like a lot of these things, you know, you need the mechanic to work or the theme to work or like to your guys' point about the yeah, visual novels sure. being escape rooms. The visual novel story is what drove you into these to do the puzzles and it encourages you to keep going, right? So. I think Puzzle Challenge, in kind of a weird way, is sort of that. Because Pokemon Puzzle Challenge on Game Boy Color um, came out like peak Pokemon Frenzy, you know, late 90s or 2000 or something. And Pound Upon had been around since, I guess, like 93 or whatever. But they took the Pokemon formula. So they took the eight gym leaders and they took the idea of you, like, catching Pokemon and going and fighting your Pokemon team. And they turned all the battles into puzzles basically like sort of like uh, there's a game on ds that did that too that i'm forgetting the name of where it was like half puzzle game half like advanced wars almost but medieval um but anyway yeah so they did this idea and it was kind of the framing of it was pokemon and what we were familiar with and it was all like the gold and silver pokemon and i was super about that at the moment but then the puzzle mechanic itself was just so simple but works so well in a kind of Tetrisy way you know the match three and all that that it um yeah it was just It just resonated, and I admit Pokemon Puzzle League on the N64 did not hit in the same way. I think the, uh, I thought the cartoon tie-ins were a little forced, because they were just, like, sticking stock images from the show into it. But yeah, something about Puzzle Challenge just really hit, and every time Nintendo puts out a Puzzle League, because they've now called it Puzzle League just by itself, I'll I'll buy it. You know, they did one with Dr. Mario on Game Boy Advance, and it was, like, super bare-bones, and the Dr. Mario was, like, equally bare-bones. I bought it. I'm just kind of waiting. They did one on DS. I think DSiWare bought it. I think it's po- uh, Puzzle League Platinum or Challenge or something like that. And then they kind of just forgot about the series, which sucks. Cause like, you know, when they did Dr. Mario World, I was sitting there like, you, you guys are sitting on Puzzle League. Like, why would you not make that a mobile game? And yet nothing, but yeah, I think Puzzle League, Puzzle League's my, my pick probably. Although that does remind me, I don't get Dr. Mario. I'm just going to say it. Like, is there a puzzle game that you guys like? It could be a traditional puzzle game or something more like kind of the um, narrative driven ones you're describing. Is there a puzzle game that just like, you're like, why, how? Why, why do people like this? I guess you react puzzle like league. that to puzzle Is it? Okay, fair. Yeah. But yeah, I, Dr. Mario for me. What about you, Kevin?
1: I'm, I, am i have never given this, this any thought on <laughs> which puzzle game just doesn't work for me. But like, I guess, yeah, doc, uh, Dr. Mario has never, i've never found those games
0: fun ever i feel like the mobile one dr mario world kind of worked because they flipped it like literally you do the opposite it's the same mechanic but it works in reverse so that kind of worked but yeah i don't know like the only reason i even gave this any thought to your point is because i keep getting it kind of thrown at me like when i bought puzzle league on gameway vans there was dr mario so i tried to be like nope not clicking and then you know switch online um expansion pack, they, Dr. Mario 64 was on there, and Angel, you and I were going through a bunch of the online games the other week. We get to Dr. Mario, we gave it, what, 30 seconds? And they're like, nope. Like, it just didn't click. But it, um, What is weird about that, though, is who are all those characters in Dr. Mario 64? Like, do you remember that, Angel? There are like a dozen of them that Nintendo's never referenced before or after that game.
2: Yeah, really, really colorful bunch that group. Um... They have no idea what, what their deal, where they came from, when they have perfectly good characters they could be using for that, but...
0: Or nope. or it's even easy. on the flip side of that exact point, like, why didn't they reintroduce any of these characters in Dr. Mario World when it was still a mobile game? Like, they made, like, all these ridiculous, like, what if we put this character in a trench coat? What if we put three Goombas in a trench coat? Like, what if we... Or not a trench coat, a doctor's coat. What if we do all these things where it's just, like, slap a stethoscope on Baby Wario? But they had, like, a dozen characters that already existed that they could have basically brought back through Dr. Mario World because they'd be in the gotcha system and everything and they just gained the exposure like it's so strange they just like forgot about them like I don't know for a company that prides itself so much on having such a staple of characters and keeping that expanding and rotating in different characters to do different merch and all that like how do you forget the the weird scientist that looks like Doctor Wiley or the little robot guy or whatever those other ones were in sixty four? Like seriously, people listening, if you haven't booted up Doctor Mario sixty four on Switch online, go do it, and you'll be like, who, what? Like the designs are like old school Nintendo. It's so weird. It's just like a little time capsule. But yeah, I guess Doctor Mario would be the one I, I understand least. Um, I do think you guys raised a really interesting point talking about the the you know nine 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 and Layton and all that, and. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I feel like there's like a golden era of puzzle games that kind of is now past. Like I feel like the DS, and I guess sort of by association the PSP with Lumines, but like the DS was really like a moment for puzzle games. There's so many original ideas being thrown on there all at once. I mean, we yeah, have. if still the, want to play Meteos. Yeah, play Meteos. Meteos is great. It's it like even a fun game. It's super Meteos. fun. Yeah, it has. it's by Sakurai. Don't you have Meteos? I do have Meteos. Do you just like saying it like that? Meteos? But yes, I do have Meteos. Yes. Um, it was a it was a collab between Sakurai and the Luminez guy, wasn't it, I think? Yeah,
1: Tetsuya um, Mizuguchi?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was, I, I mean, I feel like the gameplay was more Luminez inspired and the menus were 100% all Sakurai. <laughs> like, there were weird shapes, the buttons were in the line, like it was straight up Sakurai. But yeah, Meteos is a good example of that on DS, and it even spawned a Disney branded sequel, which was really bizarre. Um, Polarium, um, did you guys ever play Polarium on DS? This thing, like, I think Nintendo sent it to me for free or something.
2: Kind of remember that one, That's the one where you have to tr- turn all black stuff to white stuff. Yeah. Like, versa?
0: yeah. So it's like a grid, it's like tiles, and you have to draw lines on it using the touchscreen to convert rows and tiles to, to the opposite color. But you ultimately want to get all of them one color um either black or white and i believe you have to do full lines at a time and so it's kind of like a flat rubik's cube where you want to try and figure out how to manipulate it i think it actually weirdly enough started on game boy advance in japan and then they made a ds version that obviously would be easier to control with touch and then brought it to the states then but there was that there was obviously tetris ds but that's kind of a no-brainer um but there's like magnetica which was kind of their version of uh, Zuma with the marbles but um was pretty fun I don't know. I feel like maybe it was the introduction of the touchscreen and just, like, all these new possibilities that opened up and how the DS could be held like a book, which gave way to, you know, some of the visual, graphical, uh, graphic novel-based puzzle games, but yeah, the DS just had like, this really creative era for puzzle games, and I feel like in the time since, I mean, we got a little with 3DS, Pushmo and Crashmo, but even, like, the tail end of the DS, they were still doing stuff with the art-style games, and then that just kind of... I don't know. It all dried up. Like, if you look at like switch now what what we got that's like a new puzzle game i mean i love gimmicky tetris and we have plenty of that there's tetris 99 which is like one of my all-time favorite switch games there's tetris effect which is just quite a zen experience there's Poyo Poyo tetris um we have like seven crosses i think on switch from jupiter they keep pumping them out um but there's not much else that's like different or like there's a poor lumines there's a reimagining of Super Puzzle Fighter by Nicholas and Crystal Crisis. But, like, I feel like the genre is kind of homogenized in a weird way. Or, like, they're just putting puzzles into things that, like, puzzle platformers are on the rise. The stuff, like, you guys are talking about with, like, kind of visual novels and Ace Attorney stuff, that's more popular than ever. But, like, there's not, like, the weird, weird ones. Like, there's not new, like, stuff. It's just kind of the same, at least from the big companies, at least from like Nintendo and the other publishers. Just sort of these like. Right. Well, aren't there still. You
2: know? I mean, I, I guess it's still kind of in the same vein as Night and Anna stuff, but I'm just remembering that the Danganronpa games came to Switch as like a big compilation. And I want to say those mm. are also puzzle games, but they involve. Those are more visual. killed, right?
1: Yeah, those are more visual novels. uh... Comp- those are more like mystery games compared to uh like the zero escape games which those were just straight up escape rooms puzzles
2: oh okay i thought it was gonna i thought they played out like escape rooms or something didn't realize it was
0: more i don't like, think they I do like i'm
1: pretty attorney. sure I'm, yeah i'm pretty sure it's it's more like mystery mystery stuff
0: but even then let, let's run it down. let's say it was a little more puzzly like, like that's also an older game brought back like i kind of miss and maybe it's just a sign of the era we're in and people have maxed out how to use buttons and sticks but i kind of missed the like weird new type of puzzle mechanics that the ds gave us and even even the wii was I already think, kind of waning on that front
1: i think the reason that we're seeing less of that is because more of those games are just now on mobile that compared might be to it. just being on switch
0: that's because really like good point.
1: i'm sure i'm sure the apple store has tons tons of like puzzle games, that one of the very first uh, Apple Arcade games that people really liked was, I forgot what it was, but it it looked like a match three game, uh, where like you played some oh um, some, uh, some soldier, oh no no not threes. Not, not threes, although threes is also a fantastic game that I don't think ever came to DS or anything like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Pretty sure that was just like a iOS exclusive. But no, uh, I forgot. I'll 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 try to look at it. Uh, just give me a second. Just that keep is actually it a really good point though.
0: Is the DS? But yeah, is pretty kinda... much
1: everything is now just on iOS and uh yeah. Google Play or whatever they call it over there. <laughs> we're, we're they call it in Jesus. Green Bubble Land.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's actually a really good point. It's like because we're. I think it, it's tricky because when you look back at like Nintendo's past, you're looking at like their console era and their handheld era. And their console era was like higher profile, bigger budget games, and their handheld era was like still they're big franchise but like kind of these like quirky side projects and like weird little things that they'd spend only a couple bucks making relatively speaking um and now that switch is kind of everything for nintendo in part because nintendo did in part because the market went that way mobile is basically what the ds was in terms of experimentation and in terms of just weirdness and like it's cheap to develop for and you can just throw something on it and see what happens like that actually now that you point that out makes a lot of sense yeah
1: so the game that i was looking for was called grindstone apparently that was oh a, a very... that's on
0: switch funny enough
1: oh is it okay yep, yeah they brought well, it to switch yeah originated on ios so i i think that's that's what i'm pretty much getting at and most of the I puzzle games right. that you'll find that are like quality and weird will usually arrive on ios first and take god knows how long uh coming over to other consoles
0: if ever yeah because they can just make bank on yeah, ios and call it a day yeah yeah, I guess it really is just a sign of the, the times. Like, the Switch has kind of matured into being a like higher caliber product than a handheld Nintendo system ever was in the hierarchy of game releases and whatnot. Yeah. Weird. It's weird that puzzle games are like the one genre that's probably the most noticeable, too. Mm-hmm. Just because they're so, like, bite sized to begin with, which is, you know, I'm making all these points about, like, how homogenized it's becoming within the Switch, but, like, you know, you're pointing out the iOS games are coming over, and even then, in terms of raw hours, I suspect I put more time into my Switch puzzle gaming because of Tetris 99 and the like than I did on 3DS yeah, was or sure DS that's combined. A game in yeah, in it's, it's up there. So like clearly the developers are onto something with sticking to like the ones that work, but yeah, it's, I, I think you're right. I, I think just the variety of DS because I really enjoyed when Nintendo was doing the touch generations era and like every couple of months it'd have some weird quirky thing either in a retail release or, you know, on the DSiWare shop, like, I know we talked about this on the show before, but like DSiWare and then early 3DS eShop had like the strangest little side projects. I mean, soccer, uh, the curse splash or whatever it's called, uh, the, the Sakura samurai, whatever it is with the samurai, um, rolling western, like all these weird little crash mo or push mo oh, yeah. initially. Sakura samurai. There it that is. That was basically yeah. punch out. Yeah. Like they had all these weird little things. Cause like they could just throw a couple bucks again, relatively speaking and see what happens. But now it's like, such a higher threshold they have to hit. So Sign of the Times, I guess. And somehow Puzzle Games became the, the poster child of the Sign of the Times. But but yeah, so we'll try and do um unless anyone has any other thoughts on Puzzle Games. That's what I thought. Yeah, we'll try and do um, some of these every so often. No. But yeah, it's the puzzle to solve is figuring out what else there is to say about it. But um Yeah, so that was the first of many genre series, hopefully. So stay tuned for more. But Now that that's out of the way, we can finally get to the news. And it's way down at the end of the episode here because, honestly, there isn't a lot of it. I mean, I guess you could say five Genesis games coming to Switch Online at once was kind of cool. Or Banjo-Kazooie coming sometime in January to Switch Online is nice. But, like, generally, these last couple weeks from Christmas to New Year's aren't usually busy on the news front. But we did get a bone uh, thrown to us by Nintendo back before the holidays because 2021's final indie world showcase took place and due to timing we never had a chance to actually cover it last episode and we have time now. So are there any games from Indie World that stood out to you guys?
2: There were two and I wanna say one of them was the one they started with, Endling. Um that one well the premise is like what really got me. Um I just like the idea that this is about apparently the last fox in existence trying to protect its little cubs Mm -hmm. and the ending of the game is determined by how many of those cubs survive at the end which just makes me really curious like oh how are they going to handle that like how how heartbreaking are these deaths going to be like are they going to be simple off screen ones are you going to see i mean the trailer kind of implies that you might see like a falcon dive down and fly away with one of your baby foxes or like, that one might get drowned in a river or even potentially killed by a person. So, just kind of curious how far they're going with this. Yeah. It, and, you know, it just seems like it has some puzzle elements to it. So, that also just makes it interesting to me.
0: It, it's interesting because games have done that before. The idea that if you if something dies, you lose it forever. I mean, Fire Emblem's, like, famous for that. But baby fox cubs, like, that's just cruel. <laughs> like, that just sat, like, the weight of that. The emotional weight is just so much worse you know i mean obviously it's yeah it's like that one
2: filmmaking is like you don't kill the dog even though some movies do break that rule
0: yeah yeah and i mean it's fitting they would it go this make dark. a big deal it, it's fitting it goes dark because like the the, the the theme of the game is the environmental situation that's unfolding in the world where basically if humans keep destroying the environment all the fox cubs are going to die like that's kind of where they're going with this so it's you know but still yeah it is very similar to the the killing the dog rule you're right um I don't know how much you know about Beyond the Indie World Angel, but I was reading the press release, and what does sound kind of neat about the game is it seems like it's sort of building itself around the idea of a, of escort missions, but like in a different way than we typically see. Because, you know, it, it, essentially it's a stealth-based side-scroller, it seems. But from what I was reading, as you progress, you're able to teach the fox cubs additional skills to survive as well. So initially, it's you just trying to protect them like any old S, escort mission in any game. But over time, they're going to be able to fend for themselves and learn new abilities that I would assume open up new gameplay mechanics. So it's kind of cool because it flips the traditional um, idea on its head that, you know, you as a character kind of bulk up to better protect whoever you're helping. But here it's they bulk up and then provide you with new gameplay mechanics through their new abilities and actions. Theoretically, if I understand this correctly, which that can be cool. As long as you don't get sad when they die. Um, but yeah, I don't actually know if that's how going to work, but that's what the press release guys indicated to me, and I guess we'll find out in spring when it comes out, but that that's definitely a standout one from the presentation if for no other reason than the internet's visceral reaction to not the baby foxes don't kill the baby foxes but but yeah, um, what was the other one though? you said you had two angel, yep.
2: Oh, I was muted, (laughs) but yeah, the other one was also Locomotive, I just couldn't ignore that title, and the art style is also really nice, just really nice pixel art that goes from Super Nintendo S to PC to super zoomed in and detailed, which I usually don't see a lot of, but that one also caught my eye. You know, it's a murder mystery in the same vein as your Ace Attorney's, just... I guess more Ace Attorney Investigations because that was from a third-person camera. But, yeah, that no one also caught my eye.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm i in the same boat as you. I mean, it shouldn't surprise anyone that knows me that the pun 100% is what got my attention. Like, it's a game set on a train with murder. It's basically MERS on the Orient Express, if it was a game. But, um, yeah, a murder machine on a train, locomotive. Like, yeah, whatever the out loud version of a chef's kiss is, that, that is that. But yeah, I, I do agree that the, the art style is kind of cool on the zoom in, zoom Wouldn't out. would not it literally they... just be a chef's kiss though? Like, But I'm not a chef, so where, where do I get a recording of a chef kissing, Kevin? <laughs> How do I do that? I can't, I'm not a chef. I can't do the kiss. It's just me kissing. That's weird. Have you ever cooked?
1: Yeah. You're a chef. You saw Ratatouille.
0: Man, you really opened my eyes just now. Well, I'm not going to make a kiss sound. It's too late. That ship sailed, but it's good to know for the future. Um, but yeah, I I do think Angel, you're you're right that like visually it looks really cool, and also I feel like the pun and just the tone of the trailer, like it looks like it's just gonna be a fun story. Like it it seems like it's got some good humor and like the the vibe with like the jazz music and the the 30s aesthetic, like it it's it looks pretty cool. Um, one thing I I saw somewhere that they're doing is kind of neat is you were mentioning kind of Ace Attorney investigations. Um, did you get to control your own character in investigations or was it um point and click?
2: No, you get to control Miles Edgeworth and mm, okay. walk welcome around to different various points and press A to interact with
0: them. Or you can just touch the screen and have him walk to it. Cause yeah, yeah, I guess one of the s- things they're trying to sell this with is, um, you are able, it's, it's styled after a LucasArts like 90s point and click and it has those controls and you can do touch as well, I assume, but also they do have the direct control, which, you know, I guess Ace Attorney investigations be it to the punch, but theoretically in handheld mode like the ability to just touch and go versus on the tv where you maybe want to walk over and press a like it's nice that they gave the option and not very many point clicks you know like when i did um what was it called this is not a game at the start of year like it didn't have that option i had to move a cursor around with the with the stick so it is kind of nice that you can bypass that streamlines things a little um but it's it's different uh it's different control inputs actually made me think of another game from the showcase which was uh alicia the oblivion of the twin goddesses and now right off the bat here like i i could tell you with 99 percent certainty i am not probably gonna pick up this game for myself just in terms of the game's seeming pace and vibe you know unless reviews are insanely good but one thing that really jumped out at me about is how finally there's a developer really toying with what the switch's hardware can do not in terms of raw power but in terms of like innovative use of its features um it's a bit vague at the moment, but based on what was said in the Indie World Showcase and then in the press material, you're basically doing a co-op adventure as these two sisters, and each player will need to leverage different aspects of the Switch. So one sister, uh, Aisha, is controlled with the Joy-Cons while the Switch is in TV mode, meaning a lot of motion-based stuff, and, or at least I presume that. And then the other sister, uh, Lisha maybe Lysha Lysha is played in handheld mode and uses the touchscreen to remote control a AI robot thing and it's not entirely clear like the mechanics of how All work like you can maybe assume you need two switches and you play over local wireless which you know given Nintendo's push for multiple switch consoles in the home maybe isn't that big of an ask anymore. But depending on how the game handles the sisters, it's also theoretically possible that you could be alternating a single switch between dock mode and handheld mode, and then solving puzzles like with your friend back and forth. So that maybe is a little cumbersome. I don't know. Either way, though, like yeah, yeah, it's it would be a a really cool
2: idea, but also kind of annoying. The only other thing that kind of jumped out at me was um usually for these kind of puzzle games, like you know your uh the one you were talking about earlier unravel 2 Mm -hmm. or even the other one that i've been playing that i'll talk about eventually it takes two which i guess ended up winning game of the year it did talked about a while ago it did Um, yeah like those like the gameplay changes for everybody multiple times like for the most part you have like a core mechanic that sticks throughout but things are layered on top Mm -hmm. this one kind of feels like it's jumping straight to the These characters are unique from the get-go and will control this way. And I'm kind of afraid that it may get old halfway Mm -hmm. through. I don't know how long this game is. Maybe it's just the right length. But more specifically, the character that is controlling the little drone, that feels like it won't be very fun after an hour if you're just kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just cautious optimism. Like It looks like it has a lot of potential. I, w- I wanted to succeed, but that was just, like, the first thing that came to mind. When I saw that, I was like, oh, I hope you don't have to control that the whole time. But it you might have to.
0: Yeah, it it's funny, because that hesitation, what I was starting to say before you jumped in, was that, like, either way, however it's controlled, like, something about it feels very Skyward Sword to me. Like, I was going to say, between the games, like, 3D World and the watercolor stack and the heavy use of, like, the hardware functionality, I get strong Skyward Sword vibes, but I'm not getting, like... You know, Skyward Sword HD where there's button option vibes. I'm getting original Skyward Sword where you watch and you're like you're either totally sold on it or it looks like it's gonna get really old really fast because you have to keep doing the long-winded controls. You know what I mean? Like kind of your point, like that drill might just get tiresome after a while. And there's no like faster way to do it if you have to like drag around the touchscreen every time or whatever. So I don't really know like if this is have button controls or what, but it is. It is nice whatever this game turned out to be that there we're at the point where developers are now comfortable experimenting a bit with the switch's features because there's like 90 million of them out there now 92 million switches and there's an iron that buys plenty of games and i feel like no developer is really like experimenting with the switch's features in any way that comes close to this for better or worse like maybe this is a through line of this episode that i just missed the weird experimentation of the ds and the wii but like that was kind of cool in the DS and r right? Like they're doing things in different ways. In the Switch, it's always like, oh, this is just, you know, maybe there's gyro aiming, maybe, and like there are some exceptions. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, obviously, the IR sensor was crucial to Ring Fit and One Two Switch, and Ring Fit uses it in a really clever way. But I kind of just miss the like wacky stuff a little, just a little. Like, I don't know. It just seems like something like this is at least they're like trying something different. So even if it does get a little old, like props to them for doing something as weird as oh, like yeah. one's motion one's yeah, It still stands out. Yeah. And and I'm not trying to like undercut games that already do leverage some unique aspects of the Switch hardware. I just mean like they do it in such like relatively, I guess you could say, tame ways. Like one I do like that's happening is this sort of subgenre. That seems to be building momentum. That I don't know what better to call than like the genre of clubhouse games, uh, but like the sort of compilation of like real life games, but on Switch and all like bundled together. And I mean, clubhouse games for me, I at the, you know last year we talked about it, but it was it was kind of a sleeper hit for me in 2020. Like I got a lot of mileage out of it, both online when the pandemic was having its ebbs and flows, and offline when it's okay to see people. And this genre, if you will, does a great job of like subtly using the Switch's features by letting you, you know, use the touch screen and play cards, like you move your piece by literally dragging around the screen, or when Mario Party did that thing where you could connect two Switch tablets together, like the actual screens, and like play a tank game across them, like there there's cool little things that happen when the Switch lays flat they're just kind of subdued compared to something that, like, you know what uh, Alicia is trying, for example or whatever, so so we'll see, but one game that did sort of fit the Clubhouse game's mold um from the indie world showcase was let's play oink games which seems to borrow heavily from clubhouse games both in vibe and in options um i've never actually played any of oink's board games have either of you i've never even heard of them to be honest have either of you ever no
2: and the individual board games also didn't even look familiar but didn't we get something like this on the switch not too long ago, except it was like for card games. It was supposed to be like a Lord of the Rings card game and Settlers of Catan, and
0: yeah, pretty much like
2: another hub. I think for no, games. weren't they all
0: sold separately? I think they were sold separately. But you buy like you download one thing. Oh, and then that you, they all yeah. You do the DLC, yeah. So like, and that's it. And that's another one, kind of like but, this growing clubhouse games subgenre, if you will, where it's like yeah, the Switch be, has that potential. And it does I mean, it better than the DS ever could
2: have. Oink games. I was just like, oh man, look at these guys. They got a big enough library that they're their own draw. But I mean they did and they did. I mean hopefully they, they it's they four are. games. I haven't played enough of their Oink games, yeah. It's only four games. Yeah. to be fair.
0: But it is cool that like they they are using the touch screen. They are doing like the whole like using the features of the system. Um at least they're at least using the touch screen for a drawing one they have called a fake ours goes to New York which is cool, but it's also cool just to see them, like, expand on what worked with Clubhouse games, because this one, on like Clubhouse games, you can play with friends, you can play online, but you can also play with strangers online. They have, like, lobbies and, you know, random matchmaking and stuff, which I wish Clubhouse games did, but never did, so, so that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, the games themselves, they're interesting, Uh to your point about, like, you know, what are these? Uh, uh, in a way, they kind of remind me of Jackbox. There's, like, one that's called Deep Sea Adventure, and you have to, like, weigh resources, primarily oxygen against each other. There's another called Startups, where you're, like, trying to outmaneuver people to, like, become the biggest shareholder of the upcoming of these upcoming companies or something. There's a co-op one called Moon Adventure, where you're, like, collecting objects around the moon, and they're all a bit more, like, analog in terms of their representations of, like, boards, and there's cards and there's pieces and whatnot. But I could see it getting some mileage, like, in a game night alongside Jackbox, alongside maybe if, like, people are into the Ubisoft, like, direct port to or games, like, Monopoly or whatever, or Trivial Pursuit, like, this seems, honestly, Angel, like something that you would have if we had an in-person game night. Like, are you considering getting it at all?
2: Not really, because... I don't know. These kind of games, I would rather just have the physical one. Yes, mm-hmm. I know, like, that sometimes it's kind of harder to do nowadays. But... I feel there's enough competition for online games that are just quicker and faster to set up. Kind of like a Mario Party. I have to explain. Right. And even if these games aren't that complicated, I don't know. It it just doesn't jump out at me as like, a, like, oh, this is the next thing for my virtual game night. Or, yeah, usually I don't really think of many games that I would want to play as a substitute with a, you know, Actually, yeah console. that's true.
0: Yours are all i mean
2: about Mon- i mean about monopoly for the switch, I don't even think we finished one board game. I think we got to like the fifth turn and yeah i it could also just be the group I tend to associate more more with We definitely tend to play gameier games prefer like yeah like if it's available on a tabletop game, then we will play it on tabletop like I think the only ones we made ourselves play virtually were like secret hitler or avalon but that was just because it was like the real thick of the the pandemic early on and it was just like the easiest thing we could set up for multiple people but yeah like not everyone's gonna have the switch and i feel like if we're all together there's other things we might just play if we had yeah. those games physically we might even play those yeah but yeah, it's good yeah just not on the switch for some reason
0: yeah, it's 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 interesting because you're making you know the, the the good case that like some of these games are better physical. But what's been interesting to see is it seems like in the same way that some of these physical board game companies are moving digitally with like Let's Play On games, there's also the um kind of the inverse where like some physical board games are like, well, we have to become video games. Like I don't know if you saw, I don't know how you would have seen this. I stumbled across it like two weeks ago. Monopoly. Has a spin-off game called Monopoly Madness, maybe? I think that's what it's called. I don't know. Uh, but basically it's what if Monopoly is real time and you run around a full city, not a board, but like a city and you have to like get as much cash as you can. It's like Monopoly meets overcooked. So in the same way that like some companies are like, oh, we can just like digitize our game and make it online. Other ones are like, oh, Monopoly doesn't work as a video game. We need to make it into a video game. Like it's, it's, yeah, you should watch the trailer if you haven't. It's interesting. I don't know if it's good. But I mean
2: that's cool for trying. Yeah,
0: yeah. And like it Ubisoft has been resting on their laurels of those games so long, like the Monopolies, the Trivial Pursuits, etc., that like it's kinda nice to see them finally like try a little something different. But again, no idea if it's good or not, but it it's just kind of like the kind of yin and yang of of how do you adapt a board game to a video game, I guess. Um but yeah, I think Unless, Kevin, did you have any Indie World? Did you see the Indie World? you <laughs> have anything from Indie World?
1: Yeah, I, I saw the Indie World. Uh, it was one of those situations where all those games look really neat, but none of them caught my attention to the point where I sought out looking more information, mm. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, there's some, some more looking
0: ones, but yeah, just didn't, didn't catch my eye. I, I don't think that's... I don't think I'm very far removed. I mean, obviously, I looked up a few of them, but like... Usually, I at least have a game or two I'm extremely interested in buying. Do I pull the trigger on it? Not always, but there's always a couple I'm like that looks cool. This time, I feel like like the ones we talked about were more of interest for what they were doing than like things I actually want to like buy. If that makes sense, like I don't know, like something about the lineup this time around felt okay outside of let's play Oink games, outside of uh Ollie Ollie World, and maybe that dinosaur theme park builder uh, Parkasaurus, great name that was in the Sizzle reel at the end. I feel like a lot of these games have kind of a similar vibe, like emotion-driven, beautiful hand-drawn, slower gameplay, like, which is totally fine. They look good at what they're doing and I know some people are very excited for something. Like, I know Chicory had a huge reaction when it was shadow-dropped among certain parts of the internet. But I don't know, like even the big one-more-thing reveal at the end of this presentation was a port of an existing indie game versus something new and it just made the whole, like the whole showcase just felt a little lower-key than usual if that makes sense. Like, and maybe it's just, it just didn't hit with me, but I don't know. You saying basically the same thing, I basically think maybe it's bigger than just my initial gut feeling, but I mean, Angel, did you? Uh, so it's a, it's not me, it's you. kind of deal. No, no. Cause I think there's definitely games for people. I just think Nintendo maybe usually has a bit more variety in it or something. I don't know. Like, cause I can name three games that stood out as being just different. But like even, even, um, Alicia was like kind of the same vibe as the others, just turned on its Z axis in 3D. So I'm not saying it's anything wrong with it. Obviously these games, you know, have a lot of love and care put into them. And I'm sure for certain audiences, they're going to be great and they're probably going to do quite well. I'm just saying for me personally, it felt like a lot of, it kind of washed together a bit more than usual. But maybe that's just me. I mean, Angel, did you, did you, are you going to get either of those two or are they just kind of like, Oh, look at those. That's neat.
2: Probably not. At least not right away. Like, they'll stay on my radar if they're on sale or something. Nothing against the games at all. It's just, I honestly have too many games to play, too many options. Like, you know, you got to have your priorities. And
0: And it may be that.
2: Nothing jumped out as a priority.
0: And it may just be that, which is because there are so many games on Switch already. And there was another family of
2: cockatiels, then, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, everyone's just maybe getting more picky. So, stuff that, like, if this was in, like, the very first. At the time, Nindy showcase, we probably be like, whoa, look at these. I can't believe Nintendo got some of this. But now it's like, oh yeah, there's like four others that are kind of in a similar genre. And I don't even know if I would think that honestly. Yeah. So, but I do, I do wish success to all of them. I mean, people are pouring their hearts and souls into them and they deserve yeah, every sure. sale, but yeah, I think for, <laughs> for us, it was, it, it, yeah, it felt a little lower key. but I mean, the fact that even, you know, we were able to kind of Good around the indie world and they're only talking about the, low on topics, like, you know, you
2: know. I mean, even the game I'm not necessarily looking forward to a ton, the Ninja Turtle one, like I was kind of half expecting that to show up
0: for something. I've but, noticed they have gotten in the habit at Nintendo I of very specifically well it's delayed till now this year, twenty twenty two, but Nintendo's gotten in the habit of very specifically not showing games multiple times in Indie World. I can't think of very many that showed up more than once. Unless it was like a year and a half later and it got reinvented or redone in some way. Like, I bet you everyone's talking about, oh, when's Silk Song happening? When's all Night Sim- Silk Song happening? Why is it not in the indie world? I would guess that's going to get released outside of an indie world, either in a direct or on its own. But it's not going to be in an indie world again. That's my gut feeling. Like, they, I don't know why they do it, but maybe to not draw attention to how long some of these games take to come out, but they often do not bring a game back into indie world so since the ninja Turtle game showed up at one of the i think the august indie world is not going to be back is my guess but who knows maybe i'll be wrong Uh, but yeah that that's still coming angel 2022 um i guess the last thing while we're on the topic of nintendo videos though uh i feel like we'd be remiss to not mention nintendo Minute. Uh, if for no other reason than because back in our anniversary episode a couple months ago, we realized how much we kind of intersected with his two hosts, Kit and Krista over the years. And
2: How much? Oh, I guess we both did
0: a little Yeah. I, I was gonna say just you, but- No, you did too. I guess I had to have a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. And, and we'd bump into them at E3 all the time. Or not bump into them, but see them. Um, but yeah, and they announced that with the end of 2020. If I bump, you mean stock, then yeah. Stock. Yes, no, I don't stock <laughs> people except Miyamoto and Kimishima when he was still president of nintendo and that was gentle stalking not like aggressive stalking i'm incriminating myself i'm gonna keep going with nintendo minute i could do that that in court (laughs) it was just gentle (laughs) gentle stalking stalking, uh, yeah come on come on it it was playful stalking they weren't fearful for their lives i thought (laughs) but um yeah but the thing with nintendo minute is they announced that at the end of the year nintendo minute also ended and as a run of eight years and 400 episodes did you guys ever really watch it? Be honest. No. I saw
2: <laughs> like maybe two episodes, two or three. I forget why. And I know one of them was animal crossing related. And I think another one was smash brothers related. And I don't remember what the third one was about, but I mean, I, they were enjoyable. They, they seemed to have good chemistry. Like the videos were obviously you don't really learn a lot as a, You know, a hardcore Nintendo fan, Mm -hmm. but they're entertaining enough. Like it just looked like, like a show that was made by these two people that just happened to be like, Hey, we have this extra time in our day. Want to just put this together? Could be fun. Yeah. It sounds fun. And then they just kind of did it. Yeah. Pretty much. Right. Like I get that kind of vibe, which I, which is a good thing. Like you, you get the feeling that they're having fun doing oh this. absolutely yeah and Which i make the video a little more fun to watch
0: and i think because of that it was the best attempt nintendo's had over the many many weekly shows over the years they've tried to do because it felt probably the most earnest like it wasn't like overly slick it was just you know like obviously these shows exist to promote nintendo and its products so it's not like we're going to get some hot takes or anything but like you know kit and krista clearly they were passionate about what they were doing they had this kind of pseudo tense dynamic like a weird tension between that kind of like it worked and um i you know they play whatever new release which makes sense but because it worked well enough it did give opportunities for more interesting episodes where they like interview indie developers or big name nintendo folks like miyamoto or anuma or whatever um but yeah i didn't watch it regularly i think the ones i mostly gravitated towards and i think where it perhaps shined best was um when Kit and Krista were really like, look at us, we're just NOA employees doing cool things. Like, we work at Nintendo, look what we get to do. So, like, you know, when it came to big events like uh E3 or Smash Bros. tournaments, or even when they did the Splatoon obstacle course on, on the Samokka Pier back when, like, the Wii U version was first coming out, like, Kit and Krista would just, like, be there with their phones and a camera, you know, like, recording off them and doing kind of, like, on-the-ground, like, behind-the-scenes experiences that they were having as, like, the Nintendo people at the Nintendo event. And those were the ones I tended to watch. Um, and I think it just felt like and probably will continue to be the most authentic peak behind Nintendo's curtain we'll probably ever get. Um, of course, they're only showing the fun stuff. Of course, they're not going to show the real inner workings. Or, you know, they're just walking around the Comic-Con show floor like, look, we're at Comic-Con 2. But I don't know. I like I've liked it for the same reason I think I'm so into the inside baseball of Nintendo as a company. Like, even when the two of them just went to Nintendo's headquarters in Kyoto for an episode, they couldn't show much of anything. But just seeing them walk around the grounds and be excited was kind of neat in, like, a vicarious way. So, that I will probably miss. Because whatever Nintendo does next, I'm pretty sure they're not going to be quite that, like, loose, if that makes sense. Um, And the circumstances for why it ended are kind of potentially interesting. I don't know what it means for Kit and Krista personally, but basically... And they didn't say it's an available, but you could piece it together pretty quick. About a month ago, Nintendo of America announced they're going to shut down their Redwood City office. That's the one just outside of San Francisco. It's home of their marketing team, essentially, some of their sales folk. It's where Kit and Krista were based. They told everyone that worked there, hey, if you want to keep working for Nintendo, you're welcome to move up to Redmond. And I assume they would assist with the expenses of that. And my guess is if Kit and Krista suddenly, you know, a couple weeks later, shut down Nintendo Minute, One, if not both of them, are probably leaving Nintendo or not making the move. So it's interesting because it seems to be happening as part of a broader reshuffle of Nintendo's offices because in Japan, Nintendo's actually expanding their offices. Um, They're moving into a new building on the grounds of their old headquarters that they originally moved out of in 2010. Um, And they're going to be expanding their development capabilities to rely less on outsourcing, is what they apparently told the Japanese press. Which, in and of itself, okay, sure, but I believe the last time they did something like that where they expanded their internal development teams, it gave birth to EAD Tokyo, who did, you know, they cut their teeth on Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, but then they gave us Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, and Mario 3D Land and World, and Mario Odyssey, and most recently Bowser's Fury. So, like, if there's another new team forming inside EAD, that's pretty cool. And if, for whatever reason, not that the money has to go from point, point A to point B, but... If Nintendo makes a sacrifice as part of a reshuffling that simultaneously is birthing someone that could be of the caliber of like the Mario Odyssey team, sure. I wish King Krista the best, I'm sure they're gonna be fine, but like that's pretty exciting as a fan of these games and knowing that they're gonna have a higher output. So So we'll see where this all lands, but that's kind of the behind the scenes shenanigans that led to it, I suspect. Um and now we just had Nintendo made it joining past weekly shows like the three D S one. Uh, Nintendo Show 3D and um Nintendo Week on the Wii. I don't know if you guys remember that where they did weird skits with like, a guy named Gary and Yeah. They they most recently introduced like a Nintendo rewind mm. video. Do you remember that? Do you remember the Gar- Gary and Dark Gary and no. Oh, it was poorly acted. It was so weird. Like they would be like, Hey, here's what's new on the switch on the Wii this week. Like we got the new, you know, uh Wii Fit bounce board pretty cool, and then they'd like do a skit. And it was, that had nothing to do with anything. It was like, it had like its own internal war between the shows. It was super bizarre. But um, yeah, I don't think they're gonna do that. They seem to be moving towards like produced, like voiceover ones, like the Nintendo Rewind videos they started doing at the end of each month, which is basically a more polished, briefer, less frequent version of Nintendo Minute. It's like a four minute recap of what happened in the month for Nintendo. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's kind of the end of an era. Uh, Eight years is a long time. I'm sure ultimately a weekly show will resurface again in some other ways because as we Eight years. Eight years of Nintendo of Minute. They yeah. Didn't even, they didn't even make it to ten, like uh Yeah, those suckers. Uh but yeah, it's it's one of the things I feel like over the ten years we've had that we keep saying is Nintendo never never gives up on an idea. So I have to imagine some sort of weekly show will be back. But even looking in the other direction, something kinda of interesting to kinda of close this episode on. Um Nintendo was exploring the idea of broadcasting directly to consumers and fans as far back as 1999. Apparently, did you guys see this story the other day about the Page Boy? I think so, but I didn't click
2: on it. So I don't know why I thought it was some kind of like fake thing. Or oh, it's real. Just like a. Oh, well, I guess it was a prototype. Well, it but... never.
0: It never quite reached prototype phase. So basically, the idea was about a year ago. There's this thing called the Work Boy that got leaked. And this was a prototype. It's basically what if you had a productivity like suite for the Game Boy that could turn the Game Boy into like a PDA, which you know was the pre-smartphone essentially. And the idea was you get this little keyboard and this thing and you could like do a calendar and stuff on your Game Boy. Never took off, never got past prototype, I don't think. Um but the company that made it started kind of redoing the idea a little and came up with this thing called the Page Boy. And the idea was, what if you put a cartridge on the back of your Game Boy color? And that cartridge itself had a cartridge slot, so it was like a a pack you stick on the back. And that device, the Page Boy, leveraged the exact same radio bands that pagers used for two-way communication and basically could be an always-connected device that turned your Game Boy into an always-connected device. So they took this idea to Nintendo and they pitched it in, like, 1999 to Nintendo of America as the Page Boy. And the idea was you put it in and you can do everything from... Uh, send messages to people, including selfies using the Game Boy camera, back before selfies were really a thing. You could um get updates, so you could get news and weather for your area. You can get live video broadcasts called Game Boy TV that would let Nintendo directly, as frequently as they want, tell consumers about new products, be it, you know, Nintendo Direct style, or be it maybe Nintendo Minute style, or like as a weekly show, who knows. Uh, you could do stuff like, Ask Mario, which would be like an Ask G's where you could type in a search result and it would actually like spit back something for you that it found on the internet and as it loaded, Mario would whistle the like World One One theme. Uh, what else could it do? It was a bunch of different stuff. You, Nintendo started toying with it like, well, what if if we do this, what if like you have a game and having the accessory could unlock something extra in the game? In other words, a precursor to amiibo in a way and to the e reader cards. So like there are all these ideas that were packed into this in nineteen ninety nine and Nintendo seemed super into it. And they spent about three years researching how the radio bands would work, how they would send the data back and forth. It would all be powered by just an extra set of AA batteries in the cartridge, in the, uh, you know, pageboy cartridge itself. And it would just be always connected. And yeah, it'd have like texting essentially. And it was this really cool idea. And what ended up pumping the brakes on it in 2002 was Nintendo saw that there's enough radio frequency and they figured out how to do the data packets and all that for America. But those radio bands didn't exist internationally and Nintendo was very keen on if we're going to release this product, it has to be for the entire Game Boy user base around the world in every region. So all players can connect and benefit from the features. They didn't want to have to only have it be in America because then stuff like the game add-ons or, you know, the, the Game Boy uh, camera features and all that wouldn't be selling points for these games elsewhere and they'd be developing for a smaller market. So they ended up canning it in 2002, but all those ideas Came to fruition, right? Like, Nintendo Direct still happened. The news and weather updates became the Wii channels. I already mentioned how, like, the accessory unlocks for, like Amiibo. Me- uh, messages that are image heavy. Granted, they were selfies, but still, we got image heavy mes- messaging with PictoChat and then with note Like, a lot of this stuff may, like, creeped out into other forms of Nintendo products, but it all kind of, like, originated. Or at least, not necessarily originated, but at one point, they were pondered in 1999. And then they were just ahead of their time, I guess. But it was this really interesting thing that, like, for a minute there, the Game Boy could have become basically a smartphone before a smartphone, which is kind of wild to think about. And and a part of it would have been this weekly or however frequently they chose to do it show. So, yeah. So there you go. Nintendo Minute to Nintendo Week.
2: Damn, that easily could have been your... <laughs> Your favorite Nintendo product that I'd
0: actually seen the letter? I think day. it would have been so cool. I would have loved it. And they did toy with some of it. Like in Japan, they had, you could plug a cell phone into your Game Boy Color and download stuff for Pokemon, like play online, I think, for Pokemon Crystal and like download stuff. And like even on the Super Nintendo, they had the whole, it's nicknamed BS. I don't know what it actually stands for, but basically there's like BS, a link to, to the past. You could download additional dungeon maps and stuff. Like they did these sorts of things, but this would have been probably the most streamlined and mainstream version of the idea. And it just never happened I would have loved it yeah but you can it's fine I could like draw the line from like Nintendo Minute to Nintendo Week to Nintendo 3D Nintendo Show 3D to like the Nintendo Power like videos they used to send out to this like it's all It everything just keeps building on itself Nintendo never gives up on the idea so yeah so that's it that was my spiel oh they will one day probably maybe I mean I guess they kind of gave up on GameCube Game Boy connectivity after the Wii U being the final form of it didn't work out but they still, like, home- they uh, yeah. tweaked it as far uh, well, as Well, I mean, could.
2: like, stuff like that, we can obviously say, like, what they stopped at. But, I mean, if you simplify it, like, backwards compatibility, I guess they are still kind of doing. Or Game Boy, GameCube connectivity, I'm sure there's something comparable at to At this nowadays. moment, no, but
0: it doesn't mean it's dead. That's the thing. Nintendo never gives up. We'll see it again in some weird way. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, if there's any way that your cell phone connects to the game in the future, I guess that would be it.
0: Yeah, but which there was that moment in, like, yeah. the mid 20 teens, like 2012, 2013, 2014, where every game was doing, like, a second-screen experience. Like, you could have Assassin's Creed, and then on your phone, you could have this other Assassin's Creed thing, like a map. Or, like, you could, uh, Forza, I think, you could customize your car on your phone and beam it back to the game. Like, a lot of companies tried that, and people just weren't using two screens at the same time when they were playing their games. So, that's the end of that, but... Yeah, nothing it's funny. Nothing's truly new. It's just when the technology makes it happen, you know. But yeah, that unless you guys had any other topics, I think that's it for this episode. That's all I got anyway.
1: Uh I've got um, a topic. Kevin? What what are you guys' ideas on hot Cheetos and sandwiches?
0: Um I do like a crunch. So it depends on the rest of the sandwich. Like, I've done chips and sandwiches before.
1: Okay, so it depends. Yeah. Angel. I
0: want to okay. try
2: it. I know I've seen ads for them, but I definitely want to try them. I'm curious, but I've never tried Wait, what do you mean ads? One. Is this,
0: like, a thing that, like, a restaurant's doing?
2: Not, like, normal restaurants. I've seen them, like, in, like, some Mexican restaurants uh, where they just kind of go all out with, like, the the snack foods like you know like the same places that would put that you could buy like a bag of hot cheetos open it on the side put a bunch of nacho cheese in there or some corn and like some other stuff just to make it right really good but really unhealthy right.
1: i was more like putting like chips or hot cheetos in like a blt but no i i, I totally get you uh no aside from aside from that little Conversation that I had no other topics.
0: <laughs> okay, that's fair. Angel, do you have any random questions you want to throw in to really seal the random of Ram Nintendo this week? Uh,
2: Not to know, but I guess I could have actually talked about the the Lego Nintendo set that you got me, but I could always save that for a different time because actually finally completed it and all that. But I guess you can't see a picture of it on my Twitter. And his
0: Twitter is Wero, D B E I R O underscore o. And my Twitter is J S R Seven. And Kevin's Twitter is K V N Gomi. And I think I'm now deep in the show notes at this point. Do you want to save the Lego for next time? Okay, yeah. we'll save it. So yeah, with that said, just to be half. So now cool. you know where to find us on Twitter. You can also find collectively Ram Nintendo on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. Um, you can also subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you use, be it. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon Music. We're on YouTube at Um It's actually the first time in like three episodes I don't have to plug a giveaway because we finally finished those. But instead, I'll just say thank you to everyone who entered any of our anniversary giveaways the past couple months, be it on Twitter, more recently on YouTube, or uh, even the blog post way back in November. So our next episode will be on January 16th. Um, that's it. That's all I got kevin final word
1: that's it uh try try chips in your sandwiches people i'm let me know what you guys feel